Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Hey everyone at Glad Tidings. I have been missing being in Victoria with all of you and especially missing pastors Andy and Lisa. We love you. We look forward to being with you soon at Glad Tidings. There are many opinions in the world today about who Jesus is. I want to spend some time on that question first, and then we're going to move into some other ideas relating to our mission together. The answer to the question of who Jesus is is the very pivot of our whole worldview. How you answer that question determines how you will live your life, spend your energy, invest your resources. It all hinges on the answer. It also directly affects how we send people out to do God's work and what we do with our missions giving our money. I want to start by answering out of the first chapter of Colossians. I'm not going to read the whole passage. It's verses 13 to 29, and I'm using the New Living Translation. But I want to highlight a few things that identify who Jesus is. And then at the end of the passage, there's one of the most powerful application verses that I have ever seen in the Bible. So, starting in verse 13, we see that Jesus has purchased our freedom and forgiven our sins. Colossians 1, verse 14, it says, Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. In the next group of verses, 15 to 17, we see that Christ... The Lord Jesus is supreme over all creation, that he was there in the beginning, that he was over all of the creation. He created everything in the heavenly realms, in heaven and on earth, the things we can see, the things we can't see. And then it says he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together, supreme over all creation. He is that God of all power and all creation. The next couple of verses, 18, 19, tell us that Jesus is first in everything. First in everything. I'm so glad Jesus is first. I I don't know if I've been first in anything. If they were writing about me, they'd say, Brent, first in not in anything. Jesus is first in everything. First in the head of the church, He's the beginning of those supreme to rise from the dead. He's first in everything. And verse 19 says this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Friends, Jesus is not a philosopher. He's not a teacher. You don't get to be head of the church, the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. All the fullness of God lived in Jesus. He was fully God, first in everything. The next group of verses, 20 to 23, tell us this. That through Jesus, God was reconciling himself, reconciling everything to himself. When Jesus shed his blood, he made the way for you and for me to be reconciled to God. Our sins had separated us from God. 
We were estranged by our rebellion, by our sinfulness. But then Christ came and died on the cross, and his blood provided the payment, the means, for you and for me to be reconciled to God. That's the heart of God. That's his whole purpose, his whole desire, that we would be reconciled, that all of mankind would be reconciled to God. And in verse 22, there's this marvelous phrase that says, through Jesus, you and I can stand before God without a single fault. Without a single fault. Think about that. I've got faults. You have faults. I know that you may not admit it. Your person who's sitting beside you, they'll, they'll tell you your faults if you're curious about it. But this says that through Jesus, we can stand before God, the Father, the judge of all the universe without a single fault. Wow, that is the power of Jesus Christ. And then it says, don't drift from this truth. Don't, don't wander from this truth. That it is through Christ, that he is the truth, the way, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So this thought, we were once far away from God. We were separated by our evil thoughts and our actions. Through the death of Christ, there is a way for us to be reconciled, to be brought into his presence and stand before him without a single fault. So who is Jesus? In this powerful passage, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Colossians, just lays layer upon layer upon layer of the identity of Jesus. He purchased our freedom and the forgiveness of our sins. He is supreme in creation. Everything was created through him and for him. He is first in everything. All the fullness of God lives in him, and he's able to bring peace with God. Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus have our identity in this truth of who Jesus is. It establishes the foundation of our worldview. The question today that I hope we can answer in the next few minutes is, what do we do with all this truth? What do we do with all this powerful identity of who Jesus is? What did they do in the book of Acts in the early church? Well, the first followers of Jesus developed a phrase that expresses this in a simple way. And you see it in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. They said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The first followers of Jesus, in trying to give definition and a simple articulation to all of this theology that we've been talking about, would use the phrase, Jesus is Lord. Lord over my sins, Lord over my baggage and my bondage, Lord over creation, Lord over the dead, over the first to rise from the dead, rather, Lord over every situation. They would say there is no other name that can save from sin. There is no one else who lived a sinless life. There are no other roads to heaven. It's only through faith in Christ. No one else binds up the broken or mends the hearts and minds of those who have been hurt and wounded by the devil. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who answers the questions 
of where we come from and where we're going. Jesus is Lord over everything. So then how do we live? If he is Lord over everything, what's the impact of this knowledge? And then in verse 28 of Colossians 1, there is this powerful verse, and I hope it's going to be on the screen for you to see. Verse 28 says, So, in light of all of this, so, what? So we tell others about Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in the relationship to Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard. That is why we work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works in us. So what's the result? What's the application? Here it is, powerful. The result of all of this great knowledge and great understanding of who Christ is. Because of that, so we tell others about Christ. It's the basis of our commitment to reaching people for Christ, to evangelism, to missions, because of the command of Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, go and tell everyone, go and tell everywhere the good news. Because Jesus is Lord, missions giving makes sense. Evangelism has a reason. It's the why of all this effort and energy to plant churches and plant campuses and reach Canadians for Christ. It's why we do it, because Jesus is Lord. This is the reason why many of Jesus' disciples died for their faith. They died with the words, Jesus is Lord, upon their lips. Because Jesus is Lord, we have to do all that we can, as quickly as we can, with all the energy that we have to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, it's urgent. It is the most important thing in this life. And we've been called to this mission, all of us. All of us. I want to switch gears to illustrate for the last part of this talk with you today. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 4, there's a story. It's the story of the prophet Elisha, the king named Ben-Hadad, the city of Samaria that was besieged by the Syrian enemy armies. There were four men who had leprosy, and because of their disease, they had to sit outside of the walls and the gates of the city. The siege of the enemy was so severe that the people inside the city were starving. It was a dramatic scene. The men on the outside knew that the people were starving on the inside of the city. The enemy army was surrounding them on the outside. They couldn't go in the city, they couldn't leave. But there was this revelation that came to these men, and I like these guys, this is what they said. The famine is in the city, and we're going to die if we go there. If we sit here, we die also. Therefore, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians, to the enemy. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we'll just die. So they get up, and they go to the enemy camp. What they didn't know is that during the night, the army of the Lord had come, 
and had chased away the entire enemy army of Syrians. And they had ran in such fear that they left all their weapons, they left all their food, all their livestock, all their treasures. And so these four men with leprosy walked into a camp that was like walking into a cave filled with treasure. And so the story goes that they started collecting treasure and food and eating. I can see them with a, you know, think of grapes like this and whatever your image of abundance is and clothing and they're hiding it and stockpiling it. And then at some point, one of them remembers that his friends and family are still captive in that city. And he says in 2 Kings 7 verse 9, these words, and these are powerful words. He says, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. Think about it, everybody. Treasure, abundance, nourishment, wealth, and poverty, bondage, starvation, fear. We're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And for many of us, we're keeping it to ourselves. Missions, friends, evangelism, church planting, outreach is not an option for true followers of Christ. We don't get to decide if we're part of it or not. We are commanded by Christ. It's not an option. I, I rented a car in a cold climate some time ago. And I, I was so, so pleased and surprised to see that it had a heated steering wheel. It was an option. It was a cool option. I liked it. But I could get by without that option. It's like, yeah, good, cool, or not. Missions is not like that. Evangelism is not like that. It's not option. It is the very heart of God, so serious to God that he would send Jesus to shed his blood. To not be reaching lost people, to refuse or just to not bother taking action is not doing right, friends. If you're called yourself, you need to go and obey that call. Or you can pray and intercede and engage that God would move and that workers would be sent into the harvest field. And you can give so that those who are willing to go, if you can't, are able to go. I want to tell you, there are willing people all over the world. There are willing people in Canada. There are willing people all over North America, in Asia, in Africa, all over the world. There are willing people, and often the thing that hinders them are finances. You see, every, every life is precious to God. Every soul is valuable. Well, maybe you think, you know, ah, I don't have much, it's just a little bit, and it just seems like such a small impact and how much is really changing. Let me tell you a few stories. My grandfather was a pastor. He had grade five education. His name was Howard Candelar. I never met him. He passed away before I, I was old enough to know him. And he pastored a circuit of little churches in Saskatchewan. And they were small churches. They weren't influential. They didn't have a lot of money. And one day I said to my father, who was also a pastor, I said, hey, Dad, what kind of ministry did my grandfather have? And he said, oh, it was, it was 
It was a highly unsuccessful ministry. <laughs> my, my dad had a thing about honesty. And so sometime later, my father was speaking at a camp meeting in BC. And a man came up to him and said, I want to introduce myself to you. He said, you don't know me, but I accepted Christ as a 12-year-old boy in one of your father's Sunday night services in such and such a place, Saskatchewan. Your dad might not have known that I came to faith, but that's when I made my commitment to Jesus under your father's ministry, my grandfather. He said, my name is John Wesley White, and at the time that they were meeting, he was on staff at the Billy Graham Association as one of the sermon writers assisting Dr. Billy Graham. He said, right now I'm, I'm helping to write sermons for the next evangelistic crusade that will be televised and will reach millions of people through this one outreach. My dad came back to me and he said, I, I've got to repent about saying your grandfather had an unsuccessful ministry. Because your grandfather was faithful, this man came to Jesus and now literally millions of people are hearing about the gospel of Christ. You may think it's small. You may think it is of no consequence, and you may never see the results of your faithfulness in participating in missions giving or going or sending others, but God keeps the books. God keeps track. A similar story happened in Bangladesh. A young boy received Christ through a Canadian missionary who went one time. That young boy grew up, became a pastor, raised up churches. Now there are over 3,500 house churches through that one man's ministry in Bangladesh. Here's what I want you to know. The missionary who went to Bangladesh, who was responsible for that man coming to Christ, got into some difficult days. His marriage broke up. He lost his credentials as a missionary. He was out of ministry for many, many years. One day, he was restored relationally, and he came with me and Pastor Murray Cornelius to meet Dr. Philip Adekari in Bangladesh. Some of you might think, if I give to missions and I don't see immediate results, it's a waste. Some people who probably supported that missionary would think, you know, I wasted my money on that guy. There were no results. Look, at he got into difficulties. He had troubles. And who knows, all of those resources were wasted. Can I tell you this right now? And hear me, this is so important. What you sow into the kingdom of heaven is never lost. Because God keeps the books. You might not see the results. Good friend of mine in Zambia, Africa, a great pastor and leader, said this one time when he was speaking at our church. He said, you can measure the seed, but you can never measure the harvest. You can measure that seed of a missions offering or a sponsorship of a child or a Bible college student or the help to plant a new church or launch a campus. You can measure the seed, but you will never know the extent of the harvest because God is the steward of his harvest. The Assemblies of God, South Africa, celebrated their 100th anniversary in 2017. The founder of the South African Assemblies of God was a man named 
Charles Chawner. He was a legend among the Zulu people of South Africa. He went there and it was hard soil. Imagine 1917, 1918, primitive, dangerous, difficult. And he labored among the Zulu people for a long, long time without fruit until finally one of the chiefs of one of the tribes committed his life to Christ. As a result of that man coming to faith, the whole village that he oversaw and his people and relatives all came to faith in Christ. The results of transformation and moral transformation and prosperity, they all followed as biblical principles were applied to that culture. It wasn't colonialism, it was just Jesus setting them free. After a while, that Zulu tribal chief came to Charles Charner, and with tears in his eyes, he looked at Charles and he said, What took you so long? Why did you wait? With all that we see that Jesus has done in our lives, how, how, how did you not come sooner to tell us this good news? Similar story was told of Hudson Taylor, possibly the first missionary to China. And after a couple of years or more of, of not seeing any fruit, finally, a beautiful Chinese man came to faith in Christ. And he said it this way to Hudson Taylor, how long have you known about this? How long have you known that Jesus could change my life and give me hope and a purpose? How long have you known that I could be free from the guilt of my past? That I could have assurance that heaven is my home? How long have you known that I could be forgiven and restored? That I could understand what true peace is in my heart? How long have you known? And why didn't you tell me so? There are people in your city. There are people in every neighborhood in your city. And once they find Jesus, they're going to ask the question of you and me, what took you so long? Or how long have you known about this and you didn't tell me? Friends, the gospel is as effective today as it has ever been. There are workers that need to be sent Giving sends them. And you may say, well, you know, I don't want my left hand to know what my right hand does. Do you know that Jesus in Mark 12 actually sat down beside the collection box and watched what people put in? It matters to God. It matters to God that you partner in faith and that you release those funds. Because Jesus is Lord, and because there is a need, when you give to missions, when you support a vision of church planting in Canada through our through whatever you do, sending people that are willing to go, partnering where you can't go, multiplying your seed, you're actually following what Jesus said is the most important thing to do, to go into all the world. Listen to Romans 10. I want you to hear these phrases and how they build on one another and how it fits with what we're talking about today. Romans 10, 14 says, But how 
Can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him if no one tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the Scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. I want to ask everyone who's watching this today to participate. If you're receiving a missions offering today, then ask the Lord what he would have you do and obey. If it's for some project or something that you're working on as a church or a vision that you're trying to kindle together, then pray, how can I be involved? And let me take a moment to speak to some of the people in this room some of the people listening to me right now, and you have two things. You have the ability to give largely, and you have the authority to give largely where you are right now. You don't have to ask anybody's permission. And I would say, how long will you wait? How long will you know about what God can do through people that are ready to go, and you don't do it? Ask Jesus what he would have you to do, and then obey. I believe there are some of you in this room, and you have the ability to give the largest gift that you have ever given to send people out. I know of a Bible school in India, near Delhi. Do you know that over a 25-year period, 85% of the graduates of that Bible college are now in full-time ministry and church planting? That's phenomenal, R.O.I. I know of other ministries around the world where a Canadian dollar actually begins to change people's lives. How long have you known this good news? Well, what took you so long to tell us? Your city needs more churches. Our nation of Canada, God help us. God keep our land. We need new churches, life-giving churches that are passionate about reaching lost people. Will you join with me? Can we join together across this land and not wait any longer? Because Jesus is Lord, we tell others. Just before I pray, I want to speak to someone today. And you have not yet said Jesus is Lord of your life. You have never prayed before to receive Christ as the King and ruler of your heart. You might be like even Peter, and maybe you've denied the Lord or cursed and blasphemed his name. Or you're here and you're just uncertain of your relationship with Christ. I want to give you a first step, a next step. People ask this question, what do I do to begin a relationship with Jesus? Let me give you one step. It says in Romans 10 verse 9, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you're that person today. And it's in your heart to have a relationship with the living God. You don't have to have all your questions answered. I'm just suggesting the next step in your journey to a relationship with Christ. The beginning step 
is to speak to God in faith. I'd love to help you with a prayer. And I'm going to ask that wherever you are, wherever you're watching this today, that you would join with me. Let's bow our heads, everybody. Let's close our eyes. I believe that today there are people who are coming to Christ for the first time. And as you experience God's love, as you experience his power in your life, you might feel like those Zulu tribesmen or that precious man in China who say, I wish I would have known about this sooner. This is your moment. Don't let it go by. Don't let another day pass. God has good things in store for your life. Take that next step. Take it right now. Would you pray with me? Just whisper wherever you are. Whisper this prayer and God is going to hear you. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to have a relationship with you. I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. I say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Help me to live for you. Help me to take the next step. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for loving me. I commit my ways to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone from the church staff is going to help you to know what the next step is for you, having prayed that prayer. I pray that everyone who's with me on this message today will remember the phrase, Jesus is Lord, so we tell others. May God bless you. May God bless your evangelism and your missions outreach. May you find great joy and great reward in being part of his hardest work. God bless you.